Team, thank you very much. If you know that God is good this morning, go ahead and say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. And children, if you know what a lightsaber is, go ahead and say amen. <laughs> the message today is titled, Better Than a Jedi, The Happy Christian Life. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. And kids, don't worry, I will put that lightsaber to use. Just wait. It is a joy to be in the Lord's house on a day like today, studying from a book that is near and dear to Paul's heart. If you don't know the story of the founding of the church at Philippi, it is incredible. Paul had been trying to go to numerous places around modern-day Turkey and running into closed door after closed door. Until one day he had a dream, and in the dream there was a man up in Macedonia or modern-day Greece saying, come, help us. And Paul with his missionary friends said, hey, we need to go to Europe. We need to make the journey across the Mediterranean and go share the gospel there. And they said, okay, Paul, Silas and Timothy and Luke all agreed, and they went up to Europe. And the first big city they came to was Philippi. And Paul, with his companions, went out beside the river to share the gospel, and God moved, and a woman named Lydia heard the gospel and gave her life to Christ. And she said, if you have found me faithful, you need to come and stay at my house. And so God had gone before him, and the first person in Europe who gave her life to Jesus became the place where Paul and Silas had a base of operations to tell others about Jesus. So it seemed like all was going well. But that's about when the uh, things begin to get interesting, because a demon-possessed fortune teller came and began making fun of the gospel came and began uh, mocking the effort that these men were trying to do there in Philippi. And one day, Paul was fed up. He'd had enough. And by the power of Jesus, he said, demon, get lost in the name of Jesus Christ. And the demon fled. Well, here was the problem. This girl's fortune-telling power apparently was somewhat tied to this demon. And when the demon left, she could no longer... Uh, do any kind of fortune telling. And so her owners were quite upset. And they took Paul and they took Silas and they dragged them in front of the city magistrates. And without any trial whatsoever, these men were attacked, they were beaten, they were thrown in jail, and they were fastened in iron chains. Now, pause for just a minute. And if you're Paul, and you're having a prayer time with God, what do you say? I'm tempted to say, God, next time would you send a vision to Peter? I, I mean, you know, all, all that this vision has gotten Paul so far is a beating and thrown in jail with Silas. But that's not what happens. If you know the story from Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas beaten and bleeding and singing to God at midnight. Now, who sings after they've been beaten and thrown in jail? A pair of truly happy Christians. The message today is going to be about finding true happiness in God. 
It is possible. In fact, it not only is possible, God's Word tells us exactly how. And if you're like me, the last year or so has presented you with some trials. For some of you, it might have been a while since genuinely, heartily, and fully, you laughed, you smiled, you had something to look forward to. And I want to bring you a message of encouragement from God's Word that that is exactly the kind of life God empowers us to live no matter what. If you're the type like me who likes to know where a message is going, here's the point. Jesus saves us to a happy life that we should experience as meaningful prayer, true friendships, and gospel mission. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask him to be here with us. God, this is your word that we're about to read. We are your church by your grace. The air we're breathing belongs to you. The bodies we're using are yours, for you made them. Our very lives are in your hands. We'd have no hope for eternity were it not for your grace. And Jesus, I am convinced that you save us to live a happy life. I pray, Holy Spirit, with your power, would you open our eyes, ears, hearts, minds to receive your word. Plant it deep in us. Make us a people so palpably different that there is something the world must take notice of. And God, at the end of the day, would you just help us be able to get up tomorrow and smile in your name. I ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay, well, this letter, uh, the letter of Philippians, if you know anything about it, it is all about joy. And in fact, the word joy or rejoice, or sometimes your Bible might translate it glad or gladness, is going to come up 15 times in four chapters. Now, the, back then, they didn't have, you know, like bright yellow highlighters. So one of the way that they would show the point of a passage or the point of a book of the Bible is by repeating a word or a phrase over and over. Listen to a few of these verses. This is Philippians 1 verse 4. Paul says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Then 2 verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full of cord and of one mind. Uh, 2.17, Paul says, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And then the next verse, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And then 3, verse 1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And chapter 4, verse 4, for some of us, our favorite, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, there are three different Greek words used and translated as joy or rejoice or gladness, but they all have the same root. And when I looked up in the Greek-English lexicon, here's the definition of joy. It means a state of happiness. It means experiencing gladness. Joy means experiencing joy with someone else. You see, in linguistics, words are a lot like a family. I have a mother and father. I have brothers. And words, in a very similar way, are part of a family. Words like joy 
and gladness and happiness, they're close relatives. You might have heard, if, if you're like me at some point, something that went like this. Joy is sacred, but happiness is secular. Happiness is all based on fleeting emotions, and it's not something that we should pursue. But joy is something we should pursue as Christians. Here's the problem with that view. It's not in the Bible. So I'm here, and I'm going to try to convince you from God's Word that when He calls you to rejoice in the Lord, He's calling you to a life filled with happiness. Now let me, let me show you that a few places, and then I'll defend that. First, what is wrong with pitting happiness and joy against each other? Well, what's wrong with it is we can be left with an impression of the Christian life that says, okay, I'm going to be joyful. Not quite sure what that means, but I'm going to be joyful, but I'm not very happy. And, and if you've known someone like that, they're not all that much fun to be around. And it, it doesn't seem to reflect the kind of palpable character we see in someone like Paul, in someone like Peter, or better yet, in someone like Jesus. Randy Alcorn in his book, Happiness, says this, Depicting joy in contrast with happiness has obscured the true meaning of both words. Joyful people are typically glad and cheerful. They smile and laugh a lot. To put it plainly, they're happy. The Bible does warn against finding happiness in the wrong places. God is saying in this whole book, not don't be happy. He's saying, find your happiness in me. You see, the fact that you will pursue happiness is true no matter what. You might call the pursuit of happiness an axiom of human existence. You are going to seek to be happy no matter what. The question is not whether you will seek to be happy, it's where will you look for true happiness? And the Bible claims that it is in the Lord Jesus Christ alone that you will be truly and forever happy. So, if you're an unhappy Christian, what does this mean? Well, part of what I'm going to try to show you from Paul's life in Philippians 1 is that you should pursue happiness. You should just look for it in the right places. I thought of an analogy to this, and I hope that this resonates with some of you. I love Star Wars. If, if you can't tell, my tie has the Millennium Falcon on it. And if you don't know what that is, ask somebody that's younger. That is the Millennium Falcon. And this, kids, tell me, what is this? That is right. That's a lightsaber. Isn't that fun? Now, is this the good guy color or the bad guy color? What happens if I do this? Is this a, a different color? Oh, man, whose color is this? That's right. So we're going to put it back to the good guy color, right? You know, as much fun as the Star Wars movies are, and if you need to know, Return of the Jedi is the best. That's hands down. I would argue that vociferously. And if you want to know the coolest show, it is not The Mandalorian. It is Star Wars Rebels. Check me on that. You will not be disappointed. Okay, as cool as the Jedi and the Star Wars are, this whole series teaches a religion that is different from Christianity. Let me explain. 
the Jedi are told to bury their feelings. Don't have any attachments. If you want to be able to uh, live, you've got to not listen to your emotions at all. And that's not the Christian life. That's why the message is titled, Better Than a Jedi. The Christian life is a happy life, a joy-filled life, an abundant life, an amazing life. You say, but wait a minute, are you saying that I should just live by my emotions and do whatever I feel like? Well, Well, hang on a second. Happiness is not just an emotion. It's more than an emotion, but it includes good feelings. I heard it this way. When you think of your life and the emotions that God gives you, don't be the one who lets the emotions drive in the driver's seat of your life, just doing whatever you feel like. That's a lack of self-control. But at the same time, don't bury your feelings in the trunk of the car, never to go to them at any point. Let the emotions, the good things, be like a passenger in the back seat making everything deeper and richer. That's the kind of thing God means when he says, be joyful. What does it look like? Looks like a pair of Christians singing to Jesus from jail when they've been beaten at midnight. Wouldn't you like to know that God tells you how to be happy like that? He does. Let's read about it. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. We might even say praying happily. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may be able to approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I want you to look back in verse 4 at this phrase, always in every prayer. Suppose somebody asked Paul, how often do you pray? I wonder if Paul would have had a smile on his face and just said, all the time. And, and then I wonder if that person who would say, they'd ask something like, well, but doesn't that get a little boring? And then I imagine Paul with a twinkle in his eye saying, Not just grit your teeth and bear it. Not, well, you just do it even though it's not all that much fun. 
I imagine Paul with a twinkle in his eye saying something like this. Once you get into prayer, I mean meaningful prayer, you'll see how much of a treasure it is. Here's the first point. If you want to be truly happy, you're going to have to pray. Meaningful prayer produces joy. Look, look back at how Paul finishes out verse 4. He says, making my prayer with joy. Let's suppose that this passage it gives us a glimpse at how Paul prayed for the Philippians. What would those prayers have sounded like? Well, in verse 3, he uses the word thank. Maybe Paul prayed, God, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters at Philippi. Bless them today. Verse 5 uses the word partnership. Maybe Paul praised God, said, God, I praise you because the Philippians risk their lives, just like I do, to tell others about Jesus. Verse 6, a wonderful verse, uses the word completion. Maybe Paul prayed something like, Jesus, in your Father's time, please come back and make everything new. But until that day, would you work on my brothers and sisters at Philippi so that they become more like you? Let's go back in our minds to Paul and Silas in that jail cell. They're beaten, they're bleeding, they're in chains, and they're singing at midnight. And God does something incredible. He sends a supernatural earthquake that night. Kids, I want you to imagine that this room starts shaking because it's having an earthquake. And right before our eyes, every wall begins to be flattened. But at the end of the day, not one person is hurt. Now, I would say that was a God telling those walls exactly where to fall. And that's what happened to Paul and Silas. The gates were torn down, the exits were open, their chains were burst apart, and not one person was hurt. That's not a natural earthquake. And, and as the dust settles, of course, the Philippian jailer wakes up. And he's wondering what's going on. And he sees the, the gates are open, the jail cells are open, and he thinks for sure all the prisoners have fled. And he comes to the conclusion that when the magistrates find out, they're going to have his head. And so he does what he thinks is his only option. He draws his sword and he's planning on killing himself. And at that moment, Paul shouts, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And with a lantern, the lights come up, and you got to think that something is happening right in this moment in this jailer's heart. He's heard their singing. It probably kept them up half the night. He has seen how they responded differently to their unfair treatment. And this jailer comes before them, and he gets down, and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And listen to how Paul and Silas respond. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And right there that night, the jailer believed. And the guy who fastened them in stocks became a brother in the Lord. We don't know if verse 5 in Philippians 1, where Paul says, from the first day until now, is talking about when Lydia became a Christian, or when this jailer comes a Christian, or maybe, as I think, a little bit of both. But Paul has been praying 
for the Philippians from that first day. I mean, don't you think as part of his time there, he's praying for this man who is fastening his legs in iron, and then he gets to see the Holy Spirit do a work. And before he knows it, this same man is washing his wounds and is calling him brother. So Christian, what I'm telling you is if you want to be truly happy, you're going to have to pray meaningful prayers. Now, if you're like me, I, I've grown up in the church. I, I am Southern Baptist through and through. I played baby Jesus in a Christmas musical when I was six weeks old. So I have been in the Baptist church and I have heard many sermons about how we should pray more and praise the Lord, we should. But if you're like me, typically one of two things happen when I hear that I should pray more. First off, I feel incredibly guilty for not praying more. And then I'm gonna go one of two ways. Either I'm just gonna kind of say, okay, I'll try better next time because... I better do it. I better pray more. Or I get discouraged and I say something like, well, one day Jesus will return and then I'll pray more. Or maybe if I'm in a really bad mood, I'll blame it on God with something like, well, I just don't have the spiritual gift of prayer. Therefore, I don't pray enough. First off, I'm pretty sure that gift is made up. Ask Andrew. I don't think that's in there. I think we're all called to pray. Second, what if the reason so oftentimes that we are told to pray more is not just because it's good, not just because it's important, but because it's wonderful. I mean, what if the reason over and over again we see Christians praying often is because they've discovered a secret, that it's incredible to pray often with Almighty God. If you find a Christian that just exudes happiness, they're just filled with joy. Everything they do, it's just something about them. I promise you, you have found a praying Christian. A happy Christian is a praying Christian. Now, somebody might say, well, well okay, but where do I start? What, what uh, am I supposed to do? Uh, this past fall, I started jogging again after a long time. And let me tell you, it was miserable. I mean, like, I'd got the whole Couch to 5K app, and it starts with interval training. And the first interval, Andrew, is four minutes. Just jog for four minutes. And I would start jogging, and I'd look down to see how long I'd been jogging, and it'd been like 30 seconds, and I was dying. I was like, I'm just going to lay down and have Megan come pick me up. I mean, this is, this is terrible. But I've been jogging a little more, a little more, a little more. I'm still slow as molasses, right? You know, I'm, I'm doing great to hit like an 11-minute mile. I'm that guy. But I, it's not that miserable anymore. You know, now two miles feels pretty good. And I asked a, a guy who is in his 60s and still runs two miles in about 13 minutes. He's about a six, six-and-a-half-minute pace. I said, what do you do to get better at jogging? And he said this, run more, get better. That was it. I was like, okay, thanks. I, I probably could have come up with that. But seriously, it's about the same thing with prayer. You want to get better at praying? Pray more, get better, be happier. That's it. So Paul has said that if you want to live a happy Christian life, you're going to have to pray meaningful prayers. But he's also going to say that you're going to need some true Christian friends. Paul loved the Philippians. How could you not build a friendship when, when churches started in an environment like that? I mean, from a jail, the church kind of begins, right? And, and he'll say, look at verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. 
Remember, happiness is not just a feeling, but it does include those good feelings, and that's what he felt for these brothers and sisters in Christ. He deeply cared about them. He will uh, say that he wants their love to abound. He'll say that he wants them to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That's a way of saying, I want you all to be with me in heaven. So much he cares for them. He wants to live next door to them forever. That is some serious friendship. But look with me especially at verse 8. Paul says, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is like the triple dog dare of friendships, right? This is Paul saying, I care about you as much as Jesus cares about you. Now, now, whoa, wait, wait, could you say that? Like one day before the throne of judgment, could you say, I care about my friends as much as Jesus cares about me? Wow, Paul, really? You love them that much? Paul wants us to see this incredible truth. True Christian friendships motivate meaningful prayers which produce joy. True Christian friendships motivate meaningful prayers which produce joy. I'm telling you that a happy Christian life is going to be one in which you have invested in someone else enough that you pray for them specifically and meaningfully. And when they hurt, you hurt. When they are elated, you are elated. So that you could say, kind of like the way Jesus cares for me, I care for you. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you may be asking, well, wait a minute, what? Jesus care for me? Does Jesus actually care for me? Yes, he does. On the authority of Scripture, when Paul writes to another church, let me tell you how much Jesus cares for you. He says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You ever doubt that God cares about your life? Look at a cross. The reason Christians wear it is because it reminds them that God loves them and loves them enough to send his son to die for them. And that son had to die because we have all rebelled against God in sin and that punishment fell on his son in our place. That's how much Jesus cares for you. And he's calling you to make some friends like that. Now, I, I did a little bit of research because I was curious about friendship and how that's rolling in America these days, and it was some sad stuff that has come up. For instance, the average American will not make a new friend for at least five years. That's how long it takes an American to make a new friend. A health agency did research and found that more than 50% of Americans claim to experience chronic loneliness, making it an epidemic. And then another study showed that chronic loneliness is harder on your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. If you're a Christian that has struggled with loneliness, I've got some good news for you. You were made to do this Christian life with other brothers and sisters. And you might say, well, well, I've looked for friends. I don't know how, how to find friends. I, what, what do I do? If you want to make some Christian friends, go be somebody's friend. Well, well how do I be somebody's friend? Well, get to know them. It could start with, hi, 
My name is Jared. What's yours? It could start with inviting them over for dinner. It can, can include asking some hard questions and listening. It can include staying with them when they offend you or hurt you, showing up in the storm, crying with them when they are down. These things sound trite and they sound so easy, but when you are at the point of having your hand around somebody who's just gotten news that their parent is going to die of cancer and there's snot coming out of the nose as they're crying, you'll get what I'm talking about. Paul says, if you want to be truly happy, you're going to have to invest in some people. It might hurt a little bit, but it's going to be worth it. Well, the last thing that Paul wants us to know is that if we want to be truly happy, we're going to embrace our mission to advance the gospel. Down in verse 14, Paul talks about my imprisonment. And then in verse 13, he mentions the imperial guard. Put these two together and it seems like Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Probably not just before he's executed by Nero. If you know the story, Paul will be killed for his faith in Christ. But it seems like this was Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. And yet at this time that he's in jail again, the Holy Spirit prompts him to remember the time that he was in a jail in Philippi and how God used that to bring somebody to Christ. And Paul, remembering that time, notes that his imprisonment in Rome is doing the same thing. All the guards are hearing about how this guy's in prison for talking about this Jesus as if he is a God and he rose from the dead. And so Paul knows that once again, his time in prison is seeking to advance the gospel. Here is the whole message in one sentence. Embracing our mission to advance the gospel forges true Christian friendships, which motivate meaningful prayers, which produce joy. What I'm telling you is if you want to develop some close Christian friendships, you're going to need to work on telling others about Jesus together. Now, I have heard just about every excuse you can imagine for not sharing the gospel if you're a Christian, because I've shared most of them at some point. What if I get asked a question I don't know the answer to? What if I offend someone and lose a friendship? What if now is not the right time because we're so busy? I've used them all. I promise you, you're not going to use one. I've not used a chicken out of sharing the gospel with somebody, right? But here is the, the scary truth that I think, if I'm going to be vulnerable here for a minute, why do I not share the gospel many times? I'm honest. It's because I don't think that sharing the gospel will really make me happy. What if I get asked a question I don't know the answer to? That's me saying, I don't want to be embarrassed. What if I offend someone and lose a friendship? That's me saying, I don't want to have to face somebody mad at me. What if now is not the right time because there's so much going on? That's me saying, I'm too busy to tell you about Jesus. Christian, these are hurdles that we will have to overcome, especially parents, if we want to see a next generation come to adore Jesus the way we claim to. What if, though, what if sharing the gospel became the most exciting part of our days? What if we so looked forward to telling others about Jesus that we became obsessed with it because it felt 
good. What if we got to where we couldn't wait to show up in our community groups and talk about where we saw the Holy Spirit move and allow us to say a word in the past week? What if we smiled often with one another as we talked about the joy of being on mission together? And what if our children and grandchildren picked up on Jesus must be really important to my dad, to my mom, to my grandma, to my grandpa, because they talk about him all the time. Paul began telling the Philippian church, he prayed for them with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he finishes the whole passage smiling about how God has used his imprisonment once again to spread the gospel to Roman soldiers and to embolden Roman Christians. I mean, Paul's basically chuckling and saying, Satan thought that he had ended this whole ministry thing by locking me up again, and he's just making sure the gospel goes out all the farther. I, I mean, don't you get how wonderful this is, this thing called the Christian life? I was with a group of college students one time, and we did a thing called an escape room. Uh, raise your hand if anybody's done one of these escape rooms. Okay, so some of you, those of you not, you're just paying to be locked up for a little while. I mean, it's, it's, you're paying for a little bit of jail time. But it is kind of fun, right? Uh, those of you who've done it, you, you know, there are these clues, and you're trying to figure out how to get out. And I, I didn't know much about art history, which was what ours was based on. So I just kind of had fun with the college students there. But eventually, we got out. We solved the mystery of the lost painting. And everybody kind of chipped in, and we worked together, and we got out of the escape room. And uh, if you don't know about it, they do let you out, right? Like if you lose and are terrible, they, they don't just leave you there. They, your time runs out and they let you go home. So uh, the reason I share that is because I think that's something of what it's supposed to be like, us sharing the gospel together. A group of Christians working together, having fun, so that a lost world will know that there's a God who loves them. The Christian life is a happy life meant to be experienced as praying meaningful prayers for true friends you care about with whom you are on mission to advance the gospel. If you're a Christian, let me dare you something right now this week. Would you please resolve before you leave here to tell someone about how much God loves them? Would you please not go to tomorrow as you're celebrating and remembering those who gave their lives that we would have the freedoms we do in this country? Would you please ask God to give you the courage and the joy to tell somebody about Jesus? And would you please share that with a Christian friend and say, hey, pray for me. I need to talk to my aunt. I need to talk to my neighbor. I need to talk to my coworker. I'm a little scared, but pray that I'd have the courage to do this and that it would be a joy. If you're not a Christian, I've got another dare for you. And, and hear this. If you're not a Christian today, you are in more danger than you could possibly know. None of us knows how long we'll be here. If you're not a Christian, you are but a few breaths away from being punished forever for rejecting the God who loved you enough to die for you. But the good news is, he loves you enough that he sent his son to die for you, right? If, if you want to know, and you're not a Christian, how to be truly happy, it first and foremost starts with 
believing what the Bible says, that you are a sinner just like me, that you deserve judgment just like me, but that that judgment fell on the Son of God, that you may be entirely forgiven and be made right with him and have the hope of living with him forever. That is your hope for happiness now and forever. If you're not a Christian, when I pray here in just a minute, I dare you to take God at his word and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. I promise you on the authority of God's word, that's where real happiness will begin. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Oh, it has lost none of its potency. I, I mean, Jesus, this is written some thousands of years ago, and it could have been written last week. It, it's just so real and so vital. And Holy Spirit, I pray, please, that you would use it to do the work you promised. Don't let it return to you void. Have your way in our hearts. Help us, God, to be happy Christians who, who just know what it is to trust you and to live with you. Jesus, I, I want to pray a special prayer right now. I don't have the strength to save anyone, but there might be somebody here who needs you desperately for the first time today, and, and I just beg that you would touch their hearts right now. Convince them that you're real. Convince them that you did die on the cross and you did rise from the grave, please. And, and would you give them the boldness after this service to talk to Pastor Andrew or to another pastor just so that they could know how much you love them? I, I ask that, Jesus, please, in your name. And then I pray for the Christians who are here. God, would you so move that we could be the kind of body that has true and lasting and deep friendships. Lord Jesus, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know the pain that many of us are going through this morning, that it was a, a hurdle to even show up to church today. And uh, I just pray that you lift our eyes and our hearts. Give us that glimpse we need that tomorrow can be better because you're alive and you love us. Holy Spirit, use this time to glorify the name of Jesus. I beg that please in your name. Amen.